Uh, some of you know Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. I had the privilege of meeting him a few years ago when he was alive, he laid hands on me and prayed with me. I considered it to be a great honor to meet him and to hear his heart. And to Lauren Cunningham, who's the founder of Youth with a Mission, or YWAM, or in Spanish, Yacoum. Um, and these two were leaders of the two of the largest missions groups mobilizing the body of Christ. And uh, someone who supported both groups had a vision to bring them together. And so uh, they did something they'd never done before. They both came together and spent some time together to share and connect hearts on what God was, was speaking and releasing uh, to the church and to say to, them, say to them about global missions. And the revelation that they received, they both received the same revelation from two different perspectives in the days leading up to their time together, was about seven spheres of influence that are in every culture. And how the enemy has been allowed to dominate all seven of those spheres because of a sleeping church. And they even had those spheres basically defined. Religion, education, media, family, arts and entertainment, government, business and economy. That those are seven spheres that make up every culture that influence the culture, either for good or for evil. And then Johnny Enlow received the prophecy about the same thing, unaware that anyone else was talking about it. And I remember hearing him tell the story about how he was down in Costa Rica. And, and he was teaching on those, what he called the seven mountains of culture, seven spheres of influence. And he said, and it would be nothing for the Lord to just demonstrate his power uh, about how he is the one who has authority over all the mountains of culture by wiping out the power grid in the nation. And as he said that, the power grid went down over the whole nation for five hours. And, and, and the Lord just began to, to demonstrate with signs. And then Lance Walno started teaching about it. And then there's a man in Florida, he's a businessman, who had a prophecy over his life that he would be a senator and that he would have a son called Caleb. And uh, before that prophecy was fulfilled, he had a heart attack. I think it was a heart attack, heart attack or a stroke, something that hit him really sudden, and he died. And his wife heard about it, and she rushed to the hospital and asked to see her husband. And they said that, uh, that he had died, he, that she couldn't see him. Well, she insisted on seeing his body. And she went in and began praying over his body. And the doctors and the staff finally forced her to leave the room. And she pulled away from them, went back to her husband's body and declared, come back into your body now. And he did. 
And she did it on the basis of an unfulfilled prophetic word over his life. You haven't lived into this yet. You haven't lived into this yet. It's not your time to go. Come back into your body now with authority. And he came back. Unfulfilled prophetic declarations over your life are the strongest position that you can attach your faith to. Okay? And he then went on to live into all the prophetic word that had been declared over them. But he told the story of what was happening to him before he returned to his body. He was having a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus was showing him seven realms of culture that the enemy has dominated. That he fully intends to take back from the enemy's influence through his body. And as the Lord was showing him this, he heard his wife commanding him to come back, and he was forcefully pulled back into his body. It was interesting to me what was going on when that happened. Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says this. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. There's a mountain that's going to dominate all the other mountains. And that's Mount Zion. That's the mountain of the Lord's house. shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. This scripture has always gripped my heart because I believe we're living to see the shift that's going to bring about the fulfillment of this prophetic word. A great global harvest and the mountain of God's house, the dominion of the Lord, through his people being established above all the spheres of influence in the culture. And many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now Micah repeated this prophetic word almost word for word. In Micah 4.1, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, and by the way, uh, I, I can't tell you the, the Hebrew word for nations that's used, but I know what it's translated into in the Greek of the New Testament, and it's ethnos. And it literally refers to the tribes of the earth, the ethnic tribes of the earth. It's not talking about political boundaries as we know them today. It's talking about people groups as they're defined by their tribes. And many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. 
For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so that prophetic word about something that I believe we're being invited to be a part of was repeated by Micah almost word for word. Now, in Revelation 17, uh, it talks about a great whore who sits on a beast with seven heads and ten horns. Uh, It's quite a picture. And then in verse 9 of Revelation 17, it says, Now here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There's a great counterfeit of the church that's occupying the place that the church is supposed to be occupying. The seven mountains of culture have been dominated by a counterfeit to the church of Jesus Christ and and influencing it for the dark kingdom. And I don't know about you, but that makes me mad. Because I'm not willing to abdicate our role as the salt and light that Jesus said that we are to the enemy and allow him to take over things and places that he's given us dominion in. It should not be okay with us to have the enemy dominate a planet that's been given to man to steward for the Lord. That shouldn't be okay with any of us. And then someone would say, well, doesn't that sound like dominion theology? Whatever that is. Uh, it, it's, it's an intimidation tactic that's been used by the enemy to get God's people to back up. To, oh, no, we don't want to be a part of that. Uh, one thing I don't like and I don't try to give the enemy uh, tools to use against me is to, is to label things. You know, you, when you define things by a label, you're setting yourself up to be a target. And that whole dominion theology is one of those things. Did God give man dominion? Yes, he did. Does that mean that we're supposed to go out and take up arms and slaughter people in order to bring the dominion of the kingdom of God to earth? Absolutely not. And, and anyone who is, promoting, is saying that we are promoting dominion theology in that sense by saying that the Lord has called us to bring his influence into the nations of the world is, is really being used by the enemy to, to intimidate God's people from their assignment. Listen, if you're a businessman or a woman, you are called to bring kingdom influence into the business world, into the economic world. If you are working as a teacher in the education system, you are called to bring kingdom influence into the education realm. God forbid that we allow uh, people who are serving on other gods to take our education system down into the sewer like they're doing. And the only reason they can do that is because God's people have been sitting on the sidelines allowing it to happen. You might say, well, I've been, you know, bringing my good in. Well, you know what? The church 
has not been doing their job of raising up leaders in those realms or those things would not be happening. Sunday morning Christianity is not working. We need seven-day-a-week Christianity. We need to understand that when we are leaving these premises, we are entering the mission field. And wherever we're called to be is where we're called to bring kingdom influence. Amen? And if that's in government, you need to to bring the influence and the values of the kingdom of heaven to government. Praise God, we're seeing some people getting, starting to get involved now in the political process because that's how it works in our nation. And, and praise God, God's people are starting to get up and vote for kingdom values because that's how it works in our nation. Just re- I saw a news headline the other day out in California probably. It was out in a western state. I'm not sure it was California. They've actually discovered closets in classrooms of, of elementary schools where children are invited to change into clothes of the other gender and practice being that without their parents' knowledge or consent. Now, I don't know if you're okay with that, but I'm not. I'm not okay with that. That's not okay. And, and we've allowed this stuff to happen on our watch. So, this is not a a beat-up-on-us session. This is a stir-us-to-action session. Okay? So God gave us man dominion over the earth. How many of you agree agree with that? Okay. Satan deceived man into giving up his stewardship through one way or another, twisting our values, covering us with shame, covering us with condemnation and judgment so that we don't think that we have what it takes to fulfill our assignment. Right? And he keeps deceiving man into feeling like he's out of line taking his dominion back. I'm not going to apologize for taking the dominion back that the enemy stole from us. Jesus restored it to me at the cross, and I intend to uncover it, unpack it, discover what it means, and carry that influence to the nations of the world. Beginning right here in my own space. Amen? So... The enemy has the world accusing us of trying to take over by force. Jesus is taking over. Because the nations are his inheritance. That's what it says in in Psalm 2. And we are his co-heirs. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Jesus. And his inheritance is our inheritance. And his inheritance is nations. Amen? Amen? There's nations that have your name on them. There's ethnic groups, there's tribes that if you don't fulfill your assignment to reach them, no one else will. I'd say, well, that's a big assignment. Well, there's there's others that are going to join with you in your assignment. But you're called to fill a spot, a role that nobody else can in the same way. Amen? Amen? We are taking over forcefully, but not by physical force. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violently, and the violent take it by force. So what does that mean? 
Well, first of all, it means that we've been given dominion over the principalities and powers that have controlled the seven realms of culture in the nations. Well, you know, you don't want to mess with those principalities and powers. Well, no, you don't want to on your own. But Paul said in Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. In all of our wrestling as the body of Christ with apostolic and prophetic authority leading it, we have been given dominion over principalities and powers to bring them down and so that kingdom influence and authority can be released. And, and, and second, we have an assignment to raise up people with kingdom presence to occupy the realms of culture and allow the Lord to bring them into places of influence to help shift those realms back to righteousness. Every one of us is called to carry influence. You were designed to carry influence. You were created to fulfill a kingdom assignment in at least one, if not multiple, realms of influence in our culture. And the only way you're going to fulfill it is by allowing the Lord to unravel everything the enemy has done to twist you up on the inside, to get restored back to righteousness, to, to understand the assignment that he's given you and begin to uh, step into that one step at a time. You're not going to step from the beginning phase to the end in one step. There's a process that in the process you actually are prepared for greater and greater influence. Where you're tested, where you're tried, where, where you learn to operate under authority, where you learn to un, uh, identify the gifts that God has given you that help to uh, give you the influence that you need in, your, in the culture that he's called you to. Does that make sense? So you might say, well, why would this new revelation only be uncovered now? There are truths that are sealed up until the relevant time when they're unsealed. And you read about that in Daniel, and you read about that in the book of Revelation. There are things that are sealed until the right time, and then they're unsealed, and the revelation begins to unflow. That's why I say we have to get over this cessationist thing of thinking that no nothing new is going to be uncovered because we've relegated that to times past when scriptures were being written. No, there are new, there's an unfolding of present truth that if we don't engage with it, we will not be able to fulfill our assignment to our generation. Our nation needs you now in many ways to bring your kingdom influence, whatever that is, wherever that is. Let's start with praying and let's start with voting. Amen? That's a good place to start. It's, it's going to be hard for you to walk in authority in a culture that you aren't even representing as a voter. Because that's your basic response. Because that's how we establish government in our, in our nation, is by voting. So when we don't vote as the body of Christ, we're actually allowing the enemy to take over. Because, you know, there's an opposition that serves the king of darkness that is very active. 
And they know all about using a minority force to control the whole. By being, by being active, by everybody, every person voting as often as they can. Well, I've, I've been around them. I've been around uh, left-wing politicians, and, and they would kind of joke to each other, vote early and often. But they're actually representing their values when they say that. And so if we don't at least let our voice be heard, we're allowing the, the enemy to take over our nation and our culture. I know I was raised in a culture where we were taught, well, we just need to pray. Because we were kind of passive. And even that culture is beginning to wake up and realize that if we just sit back and pray, we're allowing the enemy to take over. Because prayer... And faith require action. We have to be willing to be part of the answer to our own prayers or we're praying passively and we don't have much of a, an opportunity to see our prayers being answered. If you're praying for healing, be willing to be used for healing. If you're praying for a revolution in the nation, be willing to be part of that. Begin with hearing what your assignment is and begin to respond to that assignment. Amen? You are the light of the world. Your light needs to shine. And your influence needs to be felt. All of us need to realize that we have been and are being positioned where we can influence people and decisions for righteousness. Let me share something with you. If you know the Lord... If you have received his righteousness, if you're filled with his peace, if you know his joy, Amanda and I were having a conversation about the joy of the Lord yesterday. It's really pretty powerful. We should have recorded it. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know where the joy comes from? It comes from the presence of the Lord, and his presence is fullness of joy. Joy comes as a result of obedience. After you've done, after you've been faithful to your assignment, the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy. Joy comes as a result of obedience. Amen? There's more, but that was just a little, little bit off the surface there. But if you are walking in those kinds of kingdom attributes, every person that you meet wants what you have. Once you understand that, there's so much fear surrounding us. There's so much torment surrounding us. There's so much lostness all around us. Everybody that you meet wants what you have if you're filled with the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Lord. Because that's the kingdom. Kingdom is not meat or drink, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you're filled with that, Everyone wants what you have. If you're not filled with that, this is a really good place to begin to reach out for what you need. Amen? Amos 8, chapter 11. I believe we're living in a fulfillment of this prophecy. 
not saying it's the fulfillment, but it's certainly a fulfillment, probably the most intense one that I've seen in my lifetime. Where he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. It's hard to imagine, but we're in the middle of a famine right now. Why would God send a famine? That doesn't sound like the God of the new covenant, right? Well, the Lord actually allows us to come to a place where we see our need and get desperate for answers. Because he knows that until we come to that place, we're going to stay in our comfortable spot. And we're not going to be willing to move forward and to reach out in hunger for what he has for us. There's a famine in the land and everyone is desperate for what you have. If you know the Lord and are filled with his love, know his righteousness, know his peace, know his joy, everybody wants what you have. How many of you are willing to be used? Let's stand. Father, I thank you for the body of Christ. And Lord, today we're saying to you that we are willing to be used. Not abused, just used. We're not responding for any people to abuse us. We're responding to be used by you to represent who you are to a world all around us that's desperate, desperate for love, desperate for family desperate for righteousness. There's so many tormented people, tormented with fear. And Lord, you're establishing the house of the Lord as a Goshen in a time of great crisis. A safe place for your people to dwell. And I'm asking, Lord, that you remove intimidation right now from your people. That you remove shame. Let rejection be broken off the people of God in Jesus' name. Rejection be gone in Jesus' name. We receive the spirit of adoption. Right now, that we know who we are, that we have a Father who loves us, who cares for us, that we're not rejected, we're not abandoned, we're not on our own. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and fill and empower your people and raise them up as a mighty army.